15 verses, really short letter. This is going to close out um, our time in John's letters as well. So when everybody gets there, I'm going to read it, then I'll pray. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not, has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us, that you reveal yourself to us, that, Lord, your good word accomplishes your good purposes. And, Lord, we ask that your purposes would be accomplished with this word, that, Lord, you would guide us and lead us in the truth, that you would uh, help us to understand your will for us as your people better. And that, Lord, you would take this word, you'd sow it in our hearts, and it would bear a ton of fruit in our lives and in this church. Or that we would be people who love to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. People who love to imitate good. Or people who hate evil. Who seek to repent of our own sin. And walk in the good of the gospel together by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so, Lord... Soften our hearts, fill us with your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, this is a short letter, and in this letter we come across four men. And John tells us a little bit about each of these men as he sort of 
shares their reputations. Well, actually, three men shares three men's reputation, and then we see John, who's the author of this short little letter as well. But but from the beginning, what what I think we would all agree upon is that all of us have a reputation. All of us walk around each and every day, and the people around us think of us in a certain way. They're drawing their own conclusions about us based upon what they see from us, or maybe what they hear about us, but we all have a reputation. When your name comes up to somebody, maybe the person sitting next to you, or whoever it is, your neighbor, they they think of something, kind of like you do when you think about Chuck Walters, something just pops into your mind. I'm using Chuck, he's been around forever, and what pops into my mind when I think of Chuck is just faithful service, hard worker. This guy works hard, he loves to work. When he sees needs in the church, he, he, he's one of the first guys to, to meet those needs, and, and he doesn't even wait for somebody to ask him to do it, it's just the way God has made him. He works hard. I don't think anybody will ever accuse Chuck of not working hard. And so we all have something like that. We all have this reputation when others think about us. Some of us care more than others what this reputation might be, or some of us care more than others of, about people's opinions of us. But my question for us this morning is, should we care about this? Should we care about our reputations or should we care about what other people think about us? And to help kind of answer that question, I'm going to go to the Proverbs for a second. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says this, a good name is to be chosen rather than riches and favor is better than silver or gold. And so what we learn from the Proverbs, what God's wisdom teaches us here in this verse is that I think we should be concerned, or at least value, a good name, right? We, 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 should, we, should, we should care about what other people think about us to a certain degree. So if we're going to apply this wisdom to our own lives, then we need to think about our own lives, our own character. Charles Spurgeon, commenting about reputation and this specific verse said the following. He said, the eagle-eyed world acts as a policeman for the church. Isn't that true? What he's, he's just getting at there is that the world around us pays attention to the church. The world around us, it, it, it has an opinion of sovereign grace church. It has an opinion of what Christians do and say. And then he goes on and he says, it becomes a watchdog over the sheep. Barking furiously as soon as one goes astray. Isn't that true? Be careful. Be careful of your private lives. And I believe your public lives will be sure to be right. Remember that it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend. I love that quote because I think it's true. The, the world is barking all the time at the church, especially when the church doesn't do what the world thinks it should do, or when somebody in the church by chance just happens to sin. The world loves to point that out. The world loves to 
say things about it. The world loves to scream hypocrites. They say one thing, but they, they don't do it. That's where I'm grateful for Jesus Christ, aren't you? Is that we have a good Savior so that when we don't do what we say, we have the opportunity to trust Christ again and repent of our sin. But the world's watching. People are paying attention to who we are, what we say, what we do. And I think it should matter to us. I think we should have a good reputation to the world around us and to one another in the church because God's called us in many ways to be his witnesses. As he saves us by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone and he fills us with his spirit, he, he also sends us, sends us out into the world to represent him, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world around us. So before we move on, let me just ask you to think about what, what's your reputation? Or when somebody says your name, what, what do they think about you? Do they associate you with Christ? Would they attach godly to your character? Would they, would they attach faithful? Would they attach honest? What, what, what would they think about? But what we're going to learn from our text this morning is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives and reputation should reflect his love, humility, and hospitality towards one another. As followers of Jesus Christ, our lives and reputation should reflect his love, humility, and hospitality towards one another. And if we were just to kind of use John's words from this text, it would just be, we should be imitators of good. We should be good people who trust in a good Savior, who seek by the grace of God to live good lives for the glory of God. We're going to explore this truth by looking at four guys that are mentioned in this letter. The first man that John mentions is actually the recipient of this short letter, and his name is Gaius. Point number one, Gaius. And I just said, he's a faithful follower of Jesus who walked in the truth. Gaius, a faithful follower of Jesus who walked in the truth. This letter, like 2 John, it begins with a formal and personal introduction. Verse 1, he says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So this letter doesn't appear to be written to a bunch of local churches or one specific local churches. Now, obviously, local churches got their hands on it, but, but this letter was written to one specific man who was most likely a leader of some sort. We don't know if he was an elder. We, we don't know much about this man other than what John has written about him. And what we see in this first verse is that Gaius was someone whom the Apostle John loved dearly, loved dearly in the truth of the gospel. John's love for Gaius is rooted in their common faith in Jesus Christ. Gaius was a man who had been saved by Jesus and was, by the grace of God, seeking to follow Jesus. Their friendship, to whatever degree it was, it was obviously a special friendship because he's writing him this letter, but their, their, their friendship 
was created by the blood of Jesus. They're, they're partners together in the gospel. And John loves this man because Christ has loved him. By dying on the cross for him, to save him, and to set him free. And so their friendship is rooted and grounded in the gospel. Now, this is very similar if you were to go back to 2 John. You, you would see this theme in that second letter that he wrote when he's referring to the churches there as well, just that, that re these relationships he has, whether it's with the churches from 2 John or Gaius here in this letter, it's rooted and grounded in the gospel. And it's important for us to see this. It's important for us to believe this and to be sort of building convictions upon this because these relationships that we have with one another are similar. We're gathering together in a context like this, not just because we all kind of live in the same area, or we all kind of do the same things, because we don't. This area is pretty big, and everybody's sort of spread out, and, and I'm sure you've passed many churches on the way here, but, but the thing that unites us together as friends is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These relationships that we have with one another were, were purchased by the blood of Christ. Our union together, our ability to, to pursue this unity in the faith is made possible because God has so loved us that he sent his son Jesus to live in our place and die on the cross for us. And then he saved us. And so he shed his blood for these friendships that we have with one another. And, and John's just pointing out, and it's just in his introduction, he's just saying, to, to you, Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Just a, it's just a little reminder. Because of the gospel, we're friends. Because of the gospel, we get to partner together and live out our lives for the glory of God. This, these relationships are built upon this good news. In verse 2, we learn that Gaius was also a spiritually healthy man. As John shares his prayer with him, saying this, verse 2, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as Indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So Gaius had this reputation, a reputation for being a faithful follower of Jesus. And this reputation had reached the ears of John through the testimony of others. And it brought John great joy to hear that Gaius was walking in the truth, picking up his cross, denying himself, and following Jesus through obedience. And he tells him, I, I pray for you often that your physical health would be as good as your spiritual health is. So it appears Gaius might not have been doing well physically, but, but what John points out for us is that Gaius was known as spiritually mature. He was known as a man who who trusted God, was following Jesus, and he was spiritually healthy. So he might have been suffering from some physical ailments, but, but his soul was not. Gaius 
was healthy spiritually. His life in Christ, it, it looked like something. And what John would say, it looked healthy. He looked like a godly man who was following Christ. He was living out what he actually believed. So he wasn't a man who was a Christian in name only. He was a man who loved Jesus. And if you watched him, was a man who was following Jesus. Daniel Aiken writes the following. He says, Gaius was commendable, praiseworthy, and a joy to his brothers and sisters in Christ. There was no contradiction between his profession, his talk, and practice, his walk. That's the kind of guy you want to be around, right? But imagine if, if, if you could hang with Gaius, he'd be one of those guys that would spur you on. Just listening to him talk, he, he would create this sort of excitement and encouragement in your soul to pick up your cross and follow Jesus as you just watched him suffer through whatever he was suffering through physically with joy. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, said the following. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Gaius was a man who lived his life by faith. And his light was shining brightly before men. And the testimony about his life is that he was a man who walked in the truth. Walked in the truth. His good works were seen by all, bringing great joy to them and glory to God our Father. Who do you know like this? Who, who do you know that, that brings great glory to the Father? Who pops into your mind when, when you think about just faithful believers, spiritually mature? Somebody that when you're around, they, they, just, they just sharpen you. They, they cause your affections for Christ to grow. There, there's this desire when you leave them to want to, to wanna maybe kind of be like them a little more. Do you, do you know anybody like that in your life? That spurs you on in the faith. Or let's ask this question. Are, are we that type of people? Are we that type of church? Spiritually mature. Walking in the faith. Seeking to honor the Lord through our obedience to Jesus. Does your relationship with Christ, does it bring encouragement to the people around you, mom and dads. Do we have the privilege of our kids growing up in our home? Is, is the way in which we pick up a cross and follow Jesus, does, does, does it bring encouragement to our kids? Or just think about your neighborhood. As God's placed us right where we're at in their house or in your apartment or maybe you're at college or in school, do, does your life, Reflect one of those lives like Gaius, where, where it's, it's, it's encouraging. It, it brings great joy to the people around you because, because you're walking in the truth. Does it build the people up around us? So 
what was Gaius doing? I'm sure he was doing a lot of things, and, and John could have written a lot of things about it, but he draws our attention to this, this one specific thing. Verse 5, he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So what was he doing? Gaius was, was helping. Gaius was supporting. Gaius was caring for. Gaius was loving strangers. He was loving people who were called by God. We'd call them missionaries today. That's a good word to use. Or just men, faithful people who were seeking to come alongside local churches and help equip them with the gospel. So back in the day, these guys would travel. They'd make their way around to these churches and areas, and they'd take the gospel with them, and they didn't have a hotel, or they didn't have what's it called, Verbo now? They didn't have that kind of stuff. And so when you were traveling back then, you needed a place to stay. You needed somebody friendly to welcome you in. And what John is trying to help us see here about Gaius is, is he was a man whose home was always open. He was a man who was hospitable. He was a man who, though these people might have been strangers, welcomed them into his home, made a place for them, sacrificed his comfort, sacrificed his resources to help these people do what God has called them to do. There's a couple of things we learn here, and I would say one of these is that not all of us are called to go. That's probably pretty obvious because most of us have been here forever. There's a few of us who have gone in the sense of as missionaries sent out and lived in different places for periods of time, but, but most of us are probably called to stay. doesn't mean God might not call you to go or won't call you to go. It just means some of us and most of us are probably called to be people like Gaius, people who are called to stay, people who are called to be hospitable, people who are called to love and care for those whom God calls to go. Because people who are called to go, they, they need support. We've experienced this as a church. We've had the privilege, the Snyders who sit here in the front row, and I know it's probably been a while since we talked about this, but, but we've sent them to China, right? We've sent them to Thailand, and we as a church have had the opportunity to support them. And so if you've been a part of this church for a, a period of time, you know what that's like. It takes a church, and it not just one church, it takes a lot of churches to support people whom God has called to go. And that's exactly what Gaius was doing. He and his family, opening up their homes, being generous, willing to just support the gospel as it moves forward. And so God gives us many different gifts, and he gives us different callings in the church. And what we see here is, is, is these gifts and these callings are meant to be used together. They're meant to walk sort of hand in hand with one another as we pray for one another, as we financially support those who are taking the gospel to various places or taking the gospel to help support local churches as they grow. And I would say 
Our church does this. We do this through sovereign grace. Not sovereign grace church, but sovereign grace churches. And so we're, if you're not familiar with that, we're, we're part of a denomination called sovereign grace churches. And one of the main things sovereign grace churches does is it plants local churches and it supports local churches and it trains local churches. And so as a sovereign grace church, what we do is, is we financially support a lot of what's going on. And so if you're regularly giving through your tithes and offerings here at this church, you need to know we, we regularly give to sovereign grace churches to help do these things, to support those who are going to other churches, to plant churches, to train pastors, to do pastor's colleges. And we have pastor's colleges in Europe, and we have pastor's colleges in Central America, and we are planning churches, and all this money goes to that. I just share that with you to encourage you. Because we can't do this, and I say we, us, and Sovereign Grace, can't do any of this without your and other Sovereign Grace churches' faithful giving. So it's a great thing what you're doing. It's an evidence of grace that God's at work with you. And when I think about us as a church, and when we review finances at different points, what I'm most aware of is that you're a generous church. You're a church that that is aware that God has been most generous to you in the giving of his son, and it's reflective of the way in which you give of your time, the way in which you pray for one another, the ways in which you support missionaries when we have them here in our church, and the ways in which you just regularly give financially to not just support this local church, but to support other churches that Sovereign Grace is seeking to plant. And it's encouraging, and you should be encouraged. Because what that looks like, it looks like you walking in the truth. Gaius was a man who walked in the truth. The next man we encounter is not a man who walked in the truth. His name is Diotrephus. Diotrephus, and I just said an arrogant leader who was only interested in serving himself. I don't know that's what we want to be said about us, right? But that's who he was. Verse 9 says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So it's not real clear if Gaius and Diotrephus went to the same church or that Gaius wouldn't really already know about Diotrephus, but it is clear that John wanted Gaius to know some things about Diotrephus and his leadership of the church that he was leading. Diotrephus was just an arrogant, self-serving leader who was not walking in the truth like Gaius was. John tells us that he had written Diotrephus and that church there a letter, but Diotrephus did not accept it, nor was he supportive of the Apostle John and the call upon his life. And so, so if you were Diotrephus or you were in his church, what was happening is John wrote you a letter probably to read to the church, and Diotrephus, who's leading this church, just said, no thank you. And you would never know about that letter, except for this, because now John's writing about it. 
And John would say, okay, I'm coming in and I want to speak and I want to share and I want to encourage your church, but you would never hear from the Apostle John because Diotrephus was not letting John in the church, was not acknowledging John's apostleship and authority. In fact, John tells us that Diotrephus, here's, here's the type of leader he was. He was the type of leader, this is his reputation. He was the type of leader that liked to put himself first. That's not the type of leader you want. That's not the type of reputation you want. That's not the type of leader you want to be. It goes against everything that Jesus taught his disciples about leadership and about what it means to follow him and care for people. Matthew 23 verse 11, Jesus spoke these words. Now I want you to compare this to Diotrephus and his reputation and his leadership, okay? Matthew 23, verse 11, he says, The greatest among you shall be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus called his disciples to him and said this, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Diotrephus was not a servant. Diotrephus was not a man who was picking up his cross, denying himself, laying down his life for the good of those around him. He was not a man who considered the interest of others as better than his own. He was not the type of man that actually had the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, the one where though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead Christ humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. That's not Diotrephus. He was the type of guy who looked out for his own interest. He was the type of leader that, that wanted to make a name for himself. He was the type of guy who would come into a room and he'd put himself forward instead of waiting to be asked. Now, this is a verse that I think Phil and I have been talking about a little bit for the last several months, one that I've been thinking about. Proverbs 25, verse 6 and 7 says this, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. I've been thinking about this verse because it just helps us understand what humility is. This is the opposite of Diotrephus, was not a humble man. He put himself forward. But in this proverb, there's, there's wisdom here. There's, there's wisdom, and it helps us understand, what does it look like to be humble? And what this, this proverb teaches us is, is when you walk into a place, when you enter into a friendship, when you go anywhere, it basically says, don't put yourself forward. Don't, don't take the best seat at the table so that when the king comes in, he can say, what are you doing there? 
It'd be kind of like this. Just imagine if we showed up to church and we actually had sort of a hierarchy and stuff and Scott's sitting here and I look at Scott and I was like, Scott, why do you think you should sit in the front row? Can you go sit in the back? It'd be humiliating, wouldn't it? But there's people like that who think they deserve to sit at the front of the table, who think they deserve to be at the front of the line, who think that they deserve to be the first choice all the time. And what this proverb says is, no, those people are arrogant. And if you want to be humble, just take the last seat and just wait for somebody to actually ask you to do something. Don't assume that you're God's gift. Arrogant people think that they're God's gift to the people. And Diotrephus thought he was God's gift to the church. It was his way or the highway. This is who he was. This was his reputation. He liked to put himself first. And if anybody else got in his way or didn't recognize his greatness as he thought he was great, what he would do is he'd slander you. He'd talk wicked nonsense. Isn't that a great phrase? Slander, gossip, just, just, just shouting things that just aren't true. Doing anything that he could possibly do to get rid of anyone who thought or was being used by God that he thought would seek to undermine his position and his power. That's how arrogant he was. He would speak wicked nonsense against John so that nobody would listen to John. He'd speak wicked nonsense against these missionaries who were coming in so that nobody would want them in their home. And then if you still chose to have them in your home, what we learn here is that he was the type of guy that, that wouldn't let you, but if you did and you continued to disobey him, he would eventually just kick you out of his church. What a great pastor, hey? That, that's his reputation, just an arrogant, selfish leader that did everything to keep himself in the seat and recognized with power. And I think John's point here is this, because he's got people set up and he's, and he's revealing these things to us, is, is don't be this man. Don't be Diotrephus. Don't follow anyone who is like him. And I think, I think we also need to look at it in this way. Is don't be him, but, but also to think about, okay, but, but, but where are we tempted to be like him? Where are we tempted to put ourselves first? Where, where are we tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we are? Where are we tempted to put our crosses down, actually, and, and comfort ourselves and do what we want to do instead of serve those around us? Where are we tempted to speak wicked nonsense? Again, I love that phrase. I feel like I'm going to try to use that in a sentence one day when I'm in a conflict with somebody. That's wicked nonsense. This seems like it would work, you know? But where are we tempted to do that? Where are you tempted to gossip and slander somebody so that you look good? Where are you tempted to manipulate somebody so that you get your way instead of looking out for their interests, preferring them, considering them. See, I think it's his point because of what we learn in this next man's life. Point being, don't, don't, don't be Diotrephus. Don't be an arrogant, selfish person 
who does evil. This is where we meet Demetrius, a man with a good reputation. Have you ever noticed that we tend to imitate, imitate the people around us? You ever notice that? This is kind of how our world works. You hang out with somebody, you begin to hang out with them long enough, eventually you start to kind of all look the same. Not everybody, but occasionally you catch on, like, so you, like mullets, there was a season, everybody in our church had a mullet, right? And they're still sort of, sort of hanging around because they were cool. And so you hang out with people who have mullets and you get a mullet. And then the mustache, right? Or the beard or the gray hair, right? Eventually you'll get there. But, but we just do that. You just, you just start to, ha- when you hang around people, you start to look like them. You start to talk like them. You start to use the words that they use. It's kind of just how God's created us. And again, when we look in the wisdom, Proverbs, it says this. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. So we all walk with someone, and in many ways, we're all seeking to imitate the people around us. As we seek to live out our lives And this is why John wisely instructs his readers to love good and to imitate it. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil. He says, don't be thou Trephus. Don't imitate evil. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. A leader like thou Trephus can appear to be impressive. Now, he must have had had a speaking gift. You know, guys like that, they, they have it. There's people that have some, some charisma. They, they can gather. They can do fun things. People want to be around them. You get a big crowd going. And what John is saying, no, he's evil. He looks out for himself. And evil people are not from God. They're not from God. They, they don't know him personally. They don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. They, they aren't seeking to honor God. Instead, they're seeking to honor themselves. The people that John tells us to imitate are, are people who are good because these people are from God, he tells us. Ultimately, we're called to pick up our crosses and follow Jesus. And by the grace of God, he's, he's also given us wise men, wise people around us who are mature in their faith as examples for us to look at and follow. Men like Gaius and men like Demetrius. Verse 12 says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. And again, we we don't know much about Demetrius other than the fact that this is a good man. He's a good man. He's a faithful follower of Jesus. And if you had to pick between Gaius, Diotrephus, and Demetrius, what John is saying is, follow Demetrius. Received a good testimony. He has a good testimony. The people around him all say, this is a good man who's following a great Savior, Jesus Christ. His life looks like something. It looks a lot like Christ. It looks like a godly man picking up his cross and obeying Jesus. So here's my question. Who are you following? Again, this is a gift, to be able to live life together in this context. Who are you following? Hang out with wise men, you become wise. You hang out with fools, you become wise. Right, and John's saying, imitate good. You have an opportunity to imitate, and you're going to imitate somebody. Who should you imitate? 
Those who are following Christ. Those who are loving Jesus. And we have such a gift in this church. I just mentioned Chuck at the beginning. I didn't put that in my notes. But I could go around this room. And I could tell you different things about different men and women in our church that I thank God for. And just here's how, here's how my life works. And Sarah and I talk about this all the time. There, there are key guys in our church that I've tried to follow since I've had kids. And as God adds new guys to our church who are dads, I look at them and I study them. And I watch the way they speak to their kids. I watch the way they discipline their kids. I watch the way they laugh with their kids. I watch the way they defend their kids. And it inspires me. Because left to myself, I kind of have an idea, but I just don't know what it looks like all the time. And the same is true for all of you. God, God has blessed us in this church. I encourage you, just look around. Get to know these people. Don't just show up, but get to know the people in this church because God has placed them here, not just so you can smile at them, but that we can grow and imitate one another as we ultimately seek to follow Jesus. Which leads us to our final point. This is a short one. John, a faithful follower in the faith. And so John closes out this short letter again by sharing his love and affection for the people of God. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. And so John was a faithful father in the faith. He loved Jesus. And he loved the people who were following Jesus. Like Second John, he closed that letter by saying the same thing. I have much I could write, but it's not my preference. Sometimes it's wise to write really long letters because you're not going to see somebody for a really long time. But, but, but what John's getting at here, and I said this last week, and I think it's worth repeating, is, is the way in which God's created us to live life together is in person. It's so that we can do this, so that we can see each other. We can look each other in the eye. We can personally greet one another. Or we don't have to read between a text and say, like, I think that was meant to be sarcastic, or I think that was encouraging, or I don't know what they meant by that. And No, he's created us so that we can see each other. So that we would genuinely love one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up in the faith. And John... He just got it, and then he just encouraged Gaius to do the same. Greet one another by name. This is a personal relationship we have with God through faith in Christ, and it's meant to be a personal relationship that we get with one another. So in closing, i got three things. These are short. These are just applications. Number one, find someone today can be challenging for some of us. Find somebody today whom you don't know that well. Look them in the eyes and just greet them. Okay? Just just say, hi, my name is. Good to see you today. It's real simple, isn't it? That's what I love about this letter. He's like, just greet these people. Greet them by name. 
Not rocket science. This is just, just look somebody in the eye. Let them know you see them. Number two, this is a little more challenging. Before the end of September, prayerfully consider having a meal with someone in the church whom you can encourage in the faith. Someone whom you look up to for their walk with Jesus. And don't get hung up on that. I know sometimes people get hung up on like, Well, it's got to be somebody I look up to. If you don't look up to them, whether you're just peers or whatever, just take them out and encourage them. Okay? Don't, don't minimize encouragement. We need to be encouraged. And number three, imitate good this week. Pick one area of godliness and Christ-likeness that you see in someone else around you and just seek to apply it to your life. So kids, it could be your parents. It could be somebody at your community group. Again, it doesn't have to be rocket science. It's just, it's just greet somebody. Find something that they're doing that looks like Christ and seek to imitate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day again, and we thank you for simple, short letters like this that are very personal and practical and encouraging. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, that we would watch ourselves, that, Lord, we would be lovers of the gospel, and we would be eager to pick up the cross and follow Jesus through obedience, that we would, we would seek to encourage one another and build one another up in the faith. And Lord, we pray that as we leave here, you'd fill us with your spirit and send us out as your witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for coming. Um, one reminder, if we could just pick these chairs up and just move them to the side before... Uh, you leave here. Not everybody has to do it, but if you can just get some help with that. And then your kids will be out back. I'm sure they're going to be soaking wet on that thing. Um, and may the Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday.